different authors wrote this book. They weren't just writing, but they were given the words from God. God breathed to you, to me, for us today. Second Kings chapter 23, go all the way down to verse 24, and here's what it says. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Verse 25, here's what I want you to see, watch. Before him, there was no king like him. Stop, ready? Start thinking of all the kings of the past. Go all the way back, the generations, all the kings, Israel, Judah. It says, before him, there was none like him. So that includes who? Solomon. Would it also include David? Watch what you're about to read. It says, before him, there was none like him. And look what it says. Who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him rise after him. Isn't that an amazing statement? No other king followed the Lord with everything he had like Josiah. Wouldn't that be amazing if it was written about us? That no other person followed God like you. Wow. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this moment in which we've been able to celebrate and sing your praise. And God, I thank you for showing up in this place. I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would be present. We ask that you would have freedom to move and to work in this place. God, I pray that you'd give us the ears to hear. God, I pray that you would also give us the courage to not fight back and push back, but God, to lean in and to press hard, to hear what you have to say to us. And then God, I pray that you give us the courage to apply it to our lives so that we walk out of here a different people because we've heard from you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious, precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. All right, so we read a statement. We read a statement about how profound that Josiah walked with God. How that he turned to God with all of his heart. Now, here's where it's going to get amazing. You ready? You can't fully appreciate the story until you go back into his history. Now, here's what I would like to do. I would like to jump, not just to his father, but I would like to go even back beyond that. I'd like to go to his grandfather. And even beyond that, I want to go all the way back to his great-grandfather so we can see the climate of how Josiah comes in to the picture. I know many times in the Old Testament, we kind of skip over some of these chapters about kings and, and chronicles and, and, and names, but you can find some fascinating stories of how God moves and works in people's lives. So if you would do this with me, go all the way back to 2 Kings chapter 20, and I want to introduce you to Josiah's grand, uh, great-grandfather, Hezekiah. Hezekiah is the king, and in chapter 20 of 2 Kings, here's what we're going to find. We're going to be introduced to the great-grandfather, Hezekiah. He's the king, and here's what it says in verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. Thanks a lot, God. 
Can you imagine the words? I mean, here comes the prophet. You're hoping to hear some great things, right? You're hoping to hear a good word from God, that God's going to bless you, that God's going to have his hand on you, that God's going to do incredible things. But instead, the prophet walks into the courtroom of the king and says, get everything in order. You're going to die. So set everything in order. You shall not recover. That just takes the wind out of you, doesn't it? What do you do with that kind of information? There's many of you that probably have sat in a room in which you've heard the doctor look across the table and they, as they sit across the room and they tell you, you're sick, it's cancer, it's bad. Maybe you've had your grandfather or your parent or maybe it's been you or maybe it's been a child or daughter. And you, you hear those words, they're not getting better, it's over, this is it. I can tell you one of the hardest things for me as a pastor is to have to be in the rooms, whether it's been down in the Cook's Children's Medical Center where you come into the ER and you see the bodies mangled and you have to stand there with the doctor and you hear the cries, no, not my kid. Golly, that's tough. To go into the rooms right after somebody has been, hey, pastor, they just said it's, it's, it's cancer. It's, it's not gonna get any better. This is it to walk through those times and just to see that pain and suffering. And here's Hezekiah. He hears it. And here's the deal. He's a godly man. He's a godly man. And he hears these words. And just because you're a godly man or a godly woman doesn't mean that pain's going to jump over you. Pain is a part of this broken, fallen world. And here he is, a godly man who's done right. And he hears the words, pain is coming. Get your house in order. It's over. What would you do? Probably do exactly what he does. Then verse two, then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed. Do you see that? He prayed. This is the most powerful man in the room. This is the most powerful man in the kingdom. He has the authority. He has the power. He has the, when he speaks, people jump. He's that E.F. Hutton personality. You remember that commercial? When, when E.F. Hutton speaks, everyone listens. That's the king. He has the power. He has all the resources. And now he hears the words, your resources cannot help you. You have no power. And he does nothing but do what only we can do. You hear the words, you fall back and you say, God, and you pray. And here's his prayer. Verse three. Now, O Lord, please remember how I walked before you in the faithfulness with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. God, I don't know how to handle these words. It's heavy, it's hard. I wish this was not my fate. I wish this couldn't happen, but God, I just ask for your mercy. I just ask for your grace. Remember me. I, I followed you, just remember me. There's no other words, is there? And here's what I wanna share with some of you today. Maybe you have faced some of these difficult times. Here's, don't sit back and think, oh no, I can't pray. God is right in the middle with you. He knows what's going on. And here's what he does. He says, he prays. And then he says, and he cried. You see that? And Hezekiah went out and wept bitterly. Being a Christian or a man, a woman of God does not mean that you can't cry when you get bad news. It does not mean that you have weak faith. Nobody really wants to die. It is a hard moment. 
You don't want to come to the end, and here you are at the end, and, and he weeps and he cries, and I just want to encourage some of you. Don't think that you just have to bow up and be so strong, and you're like, oh, I'm going to just bull my way through it. It's okay. And it doesn't mean that you have weak faith because you're sad that it's over. But you fall where Hezekiah falls. And you're saying, God, just remember me. Have mercy, just show up. In this moment when it feels so bad, just remember me, God. And here's, here's what's amazing. He prays and he asks God for something special. He says, God, remember me, do something. He's asking God to do a miracle to heal him. Just to help you, you ready? Just, when you, when you get sick, or if I get sick, let me just rephrase it. If I get really sick and I get these words, I only want people to come over and pray for me who actually really want to pray for my healing. I only want people to actually come over and actually really say, God, let's pray for a miracle. Let's show up. And Hezekiah, he actually says a prayer. And he says, God, I need you to do something amazing here. Why? He has the faith enough to pray a big prayer. Now watch. As Isaiah is walking out of the courtroom, what happens? God speaks to Isaiah and says, Isaiah, turn around, go back in. I got another message for you. Now, Isaiah's got to be get a little confused. He says, okay, God, I just gave the man some really bad news. He's crying. I'm really, I'm not good with criers, you know, so Isaiah's not really wanting to go back into the king's presence. The king might kill me. And he goes back in, and here's the words that he says. Watch what he says. Verse five, turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer and I've seen your tears. When you're in the midst of the, tragedy, you're in the midst of the storm, you're in the midst of the pain. Don't ever, don't ever doubt that God is with you and that God sees your pain and that God sees your tears. He is with you in the moment. He is with you right there. He sees it. He's been there and he will not forsake you. But isn't that part of the human experience? The human experience in our pain and in our suffering, we automatically begin to cry out and say, God, where are you? What have you been? What are you doing? Even Jesus on the cross says something profound. He says, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's part of the human experience. We, we think that because we have pain that God has forsaken. And I want to show you again and again and again. I want you to hear it. God has not forsaken you in the midst of your storm and in the midst of your pain. He sees your tears. Wow, what an incredible truth. Now watch. And he says, behold, I will heal you. <laughs> you get the bad news. You pray a big prayer, and then God shows up, and he says, I will heal you. As a matter of fact, God even says, I will give you 15 more years. I will give that to you. And Hezekiah is now asking a, a strange question. He said, okay, how do I know that this is going to happen? How do I know that I'm really going to be healed? So Isaiah says this, which do you want? Do you want the sun to go forward 10 spaces on the sundial? Or do you want the sun to go backwards 10 spaces? Can you imagine this question? <laughs> okay, so I either want the day to go longer or I want the day to go backwards. And God can really do that? So he says, it's easy for the sun to go forward. I've seen that. You just watch the sundial long enough, the sun's gonna move, right? So why don't we just have the sun go backwards. And here's what happens. The sun 
goes backwards 10 spaces on the sundial. Have you ever heard of that? I would like to have seen that, wouldn't you? But here's what I want to make sure you catch. God is powerful enough to rearrange the sun, the stars, and the moon. Why would he not be powerful enough to heal and to work in the midst of your greatest pain right now? So why not go for the pig? God, I just am asking you to show up. Why not ask him? It's okay. Our problem so much of the time is that we just don't think God's big enough. But he is, and he moves the sun backwards for Hezekiah. Now, wouldn't that be an amazing story to say, man, that was my grandfather. That was my great-grandfather. He, he prayed, and the sun went backwards, and God gave him 15 more years. That's an incredible legacy, right? Here's where the story begins to change. So the story now changes, and here's what happens. He gets excited. The prince of Babylon comes in to for a visit. He heard that Hezekiah was sick, and the prince of Babylon comes in. And as the prince comes in, Hezekiah is so excited about his new health, and he's, wow, God's going to bless. I have 15 more years. Life is going to be good. And he takes the prince of Babylon throughout the entire city. Then he brings him to the temple, shows him the temple, and then he brings him to the treasury. And he walks him through, and he says, look at all the treasure. Look at what God has blessed. Look how God has worked. And Isaiah hears about it and he comes back and he says, what have you done? What have you done? You've just shown Babylon, the wicked empire, the the, the empire that totally disbelieves in God. You've just shown them all that God has done? No. And look what happens. Can you go all the way down? Look down in verse 18. And here's what he says. Actually, go to 16. So Isaiah says to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away and they shall become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Stop. Let me ask you a question. Ready? Don't read any further. This is a king who just a few minutes ago, we read that he had a terminal sickness. And how did he respond when it was about him? He wept, he cried, and he asked God for big things, right? And now he hears a prophecy. Now he's told that because of what he just did, that his sons are gonna be carried away to a new land, to Babylon. They're gonna go into captivity. That all the wealth that has ever been accumulated is about to be destroyed and taken away. Listen, and that he hears that his sons and his grandsons will never, his sons will never be able to have grandsons because they're going to be made eunuchs and his line's going to stop. Are you following this? How should he have responded? You would think that the guy who, who begged God to show up, who asked for God to show up in an amazing way, who saw the sun go backwards, you would think that we would begin to beg God and ask God to show up in an amazing way in his life, his kids' life, and his grandkids' lives, right? That's what you would expect. Now watch. Look what he says in verse 19. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is bad? What's it say? 
Hello, what's he say? Can you imagine saying good? Here's why he said good. For he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security in my days, why not? Please listen. The line begins to change at this point. Because you have a king who neglects the future generation for the sake of his own personal comfort. Rewind, write it down. When you have a parent who begins to forsake the future generations for the sake of their own personal comfort, you have problems and you're marking your line for generations to come with pain and suffering. Here's what I see. I would love to just to continue to preach this message because I think this is an incredible message where Hezekiah and who Hezekiah is. But here's what it begins to work in my soul. You ready? You can be a man or woman of God. You can have God answered great prayers in your life and you can still bring pain and suffering to the next generation. <laughs> I can see God do great things in my personal life. And I can still lose my kids. Can you imagine? That doesn't even fathom, because let me be real honest with you. I could lose the church, and and really, it would be painful, but it's not as painful as me thinking about losing my kids. You could show up at church for all your life and still be at a point where you really don't care what happens to the next generation because you're more concerned about your own personal comfort and there's a problem. And Hezekiah said, hey, it's good for me, no problem. It's good for me, I'm good. Now watch, he dies. We move to the next chapter. Now 21, this is the grandfather of Josiah. Manasseh begins to reign, he's 12 years old. Manasseh begins to reign and here's what it says. Verse two, and he or verse one, he reigns for 55 years. What's significant about this is that he reigns longer than any other king of Judah or Israel, 55 years. He reigns longer than anybody else. And for 55 years, he is now gonna have a one sentence summary. And here's how his life is summarized in verse two. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. One sentence, 55 years. Now watch, I'm so convinced as I read the Old Testament, as I read the New Testament, that your life and my life will be summarized in one phrase. One phrase. Think about it. Let me explain it again because you've heard me say this. But how many of you just start thinking about high school? When you're in high school, high school is the biggest thing for you, right? It's just amazing. High school is the best years. And then you get out of it. And then college, you kind of start thinking college becomes a little bit better. But you you can still summarize high school And you summarize it with lots of, well, here's what happened my freshman year. Here's what happened my sophomore year. And you still talk. But the further you get from high school, the better you were in sports, first of all. Right? I mean, man, you you, you never even started. But all of a sudden, you know, 10 years down the road, you were an All-American. I mean, it was just amazing. But anyway, you you get better. But then you also, really, what was high school? I start thinking about, I can't remember my freshman year. I can't really even remember. I don't even remember my senior year except going, whoa, it's over. That was it. And you start thinking about it. It gets, it gets, it's not as big a deal. So here's what happens. 55 years. Listen. And your life is summarized in one phrase. It will be put on a tombstone. It will be written on the legacy of your, your kid's life, 
your parents or your spouse, one phrase and they'll remember you. So here's the choice and here's where we're at. What is your phrase that you wanna be remembered by? I've sat back and I've tried to figure out my phrase. I did this several years ago. I did this around 25. I know it's a little morbid, but that's who I am. And I plan and I figure out and I say, okay, God, this is what I'm, I feel like you're calling me to be. So here's, and I wrote it down and I have this phrase. And I said, this is what I want. And I, don't, I, I don't want people to say, man, he was a great preacher. Don't care. I don't, I don't want people to say, wow, he built a great church. Don't care. I want those closest to me as they get closer to me. Here's what I want. So I want my wife and my kids. Here's what I want. Those that get closer to me, I want them to say, he's a man of God. And then everything else begins to flow out of that. But I want them to be able to say, he was a servant of Adonai, a man of God. Because I have this life, whatever it looks like. And it's going to be summarized by people. And Manasseh, it says that he, was, he did more evil in the sight of the Lord than anybody else. You begin to read what he does, and it's amazing. He begins to bring sorcery into the kingdom. He begins to bring Baal worship in. As a matter of fact, he actually goes into, listen to this, he goes into the outer court of the temple, and he brings in the sun god, the moon god, and the five planets that they worshiped during that time. He brings those in to the outer courts of the temple. Can you imagine? And then he goes into the inner courts where Yahweh, Jehovah says, I will place my name forever. Into the inner courts near the brazen altar as he goes into the Holy of Holies. This king begins to bring altars to foreign gods into the inner courts and next to the brazen altar where the sacrifices would go up to Yahweh he now offers his sons as a sacrifice to Molech. Can you imagine? He becomes so detestable that it actually says that the streets, the gutters of Jerusalem are filled and they run with the blood of innocent people. A wicked king. And then it comes to a point where God says enough is enough. Chapter 21, you go down to verse 13. God is speaking. He says, I will stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria. So 21, 13. And the plumb line of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So God says, I've had enough. A dish. Isn't that a powerful image? You ever done dishes and you just turn the dish back and forth and you're just wiping it clean? God says, it's a I'm, t- I'm done. God comes in and he brings in Assy- uh, the Assyrian king. He binds Manasseh. And you can find this in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. And Manasseh is taken away. And in prison, the king is sitting there. And he remembers something. It's a, a fascinating story because he remembers his dad. And he remembers how his dad prayed. And he remembers how his dad was a good man most of the time. And he remembers and he calls out to God and he asks God to forgive him and he repents. God says, that's what I was waiting for. And he restores Manasseh to be the king again. So he's now brought back. And as a king, here's what he tries to do. He tries to finish. 
He tries to wipe out the bad that he did in the first part of his reign, and he tries to do good. But here's what I want to help you understand. While he did good, he still failed the next generation. Now look, the next generation comes on. Manasseh dies, in verse, and then you get to verse 19. And it says, And Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign. That's the son. This is now Josiah's dad. And he reigned two years in Jerusalem. He only reigns two years after his dad reigns 55. And his mother's name, it says that, verse 20. And he says, and look what it does. He says, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. As Manasseh, his father, had done, he walked in all the ways in which his father had walked, served idols as his father served and worshiped them. He abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. The cycle continued. There is power, and I want to make sure you clearly hear me say this. There is a power to generational sins. You can pass on a sin down to the next generations. It can go, and it keeps going, and it keeps going. And so Amnon, he does the same thing. Amon, he does the same thing that his fathers did. Now watch. And his servants said, this is enough, and they conspire against him, and they kill the king. The nation says, wait, we can't have this. So they rise up, and they... They kill the servants who conspired against the king and they make Josiah the king at eight years old. You get through all of that history and then you read the, story, you read the phrase, and Josiah, there was no king like him before. He followed God with all his heart, soul, and mind. Here's what it should do for you and me. It should give you hope. It should give you hope that you can go beyond your parents' mistakes. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you four phrases very quickly. If you have your bulletins, you open it up. I have your, your message notes, and I have um, in there your devotionals for the week. I have questions for your home groups as well. But in, those, in this, I want to give you four phrases so you can write them down, so you have something to walk home with, so you can take it, and you can remember what we've talked about today. I want to resource you and help you here. So let me give you four quick thoughts so that you see it as we leave. Number one, you ready? Number one, God did not make a mistake with choosing the family you were born into. I know that sounds profound, and some of you are kind of doing the pushback and saying, wait a minute, Heath, you don't understand, I was adopted. God did not make a mistake with who you were born, the family you were raised with or the family you were born into. God doesn't make mistakes. Well, you don't understand. In my childhood... You don't understand. I was abused and I was hurt. You don't understand. And here's what I want you to hear. God was protecting and working in your life, even through my abuse. Yes, you're here because God protected you enough to keep you alive to get you to this point. God did not make a mistake with the parents he gave you. Well, Heath, you don't understand the sin that I faced. I hear you. But here's where you have to move. You have to begin to understand that God is sovereign, that he is in control. Watch. He has the power to destroy nations and he has the power to raise nations up. He has the power to turn kings' hearts wherever he wants them to go. He has the power to have given you to a family 1,800 years ago and he also had the power to give you the family right now. He had the chance and he has the choice and he has the ability and he did not make a mistake with the parents that you have. So Heath, well, how do I move forward? Well, that's next week. Talking about the pain in your life. We'll have to talk about that. It's a whole nother message and we'll work on that next week. But here's where you have to move today. God did not make a mistake with the choosing the family that you were born into. Number two, you ready? 
you can break the cycle of sin in your family. You can break the cycle of sin in your family. Your parents' mistakes do not determine your destiny. You can actually move beyond. You cannot control who your parents are. You can't, you can't go back and say, I wish I would have had different parents. I wish I didn't have a redneck family. I wish I didn't have a... I, you can say whatever you want, but you can't control it, but you can control your choices. You can control your choices. You don't have to repeat it. You see, the Bible says that even a child is known by their actions. So here's what it means. If you want to actually break the cycle, at some point, you're going to have to take responsibility for the choices you're making today. You're here today and what's going on in your life because of the choices you've made in your past. I mean, come on, when, when do you actually have to take responsibility? I think at kindergarten, you start taking responsibility. Come on, Heath, really? Hey, they have to go to school, right? They start having consequences for their choice. What about third grade, yeah? Okay, you don't like that one. Well, is it, is it sixth grade? Is that when you have to t- start taking responsibility? What about 16? Is it 18? Is it 21? Is it 35? When do you personally start taking responsibility? When is it saying, okay, you're 75, you can now stop blaming your parents. You can stop blaming somebody else. I mean, when does it start? And here's where I want to tell you. It starts whenever you're ready to take responsibility for your choices. That's when it starts. Number three. I love this part because this is what I need to hear over and over again. You ready? God can redeem the mistakes parents make with their children. You know why this is amazing? Because I make mistakes with my kids. And God can redeem those mistakes. Well, Heath, what about those big mistakes, those ones that they were really sinned against me? Yes, God can redeem those too. And God can take those. And here's why you need the gospel. Here's why you have to go back to the, the cross over and over again. Ready? You cannot forgive some of the pain and the frustrations and the way you've been sinned against unless you actually go to the cross. You won't have it in you to forgive and to get rid of that bitterness until you go to the cross. And so you're going to have to go to the cross to learn, okay, God, it's hard for me to forgive my parents. They've really screwed me up. Okay, God, I, for, help me to forgive. Help me get rid of that bitterness. And you've got to go to the cross over again. And then here's what I have to do with my kids. You ready? I have to actually teach them to go to the cross because of my mistakes. You right now must take your kids to the cross and teach them how to go to the cross over and again. Here's what I mean by that. When I screw up, they have to hear me. My kids have to hear me say, I'm sorry. Daddy messed up. Will you forgive me? Yes. And there has to be times that they understand that I have to go to God as well. Because when I offend them and I sin against them, do you realize that I've also sinned against my God? And I have to get it right with God. And my kids need to hear that. My kids need to see it modeled. So when we talk about hurting each other, they have to hear that we have to get it right with each other. And then they also have to understand how they have to take it to the cross to find forgiveness as well. It can be redeemed. Whatever has happened in your past, there is nothing too bad and too gory and too gloomy and nothing too wrong that God's grace cannot overcome. 
and God can redeem it and use it for his glory in this moment and this time. It can be redeemed, but you're gonna have to learn how to go to the cross over and over again. And then the last is this. A relationship with God is personal. It cannot be dictated by your parents. Listen, we've talked about this before. You know that somebody else can't be saved for you. You know that. But let's go one more step. You ready? You can't blame your lack of involvement with God on your parents as well. If you can't be saved, your parents can't be saved for you, then they can't also go to hell for you. That's your choice. We have, in generations past, people would say this. You know, I just, I can't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. That was a generational thing. That was a movement. We've now moved beyond that. And here's the, here's the phrase now. It's not necessarily about hypocrites as much. But the next, this generation now is this. I just can't seem to trust God. And we try to make it more spiritual. I just can't seem to trust God. It doesn't feel right. I just can't trust God. And then we want to start blaming and we start trying to blame. Well, you know, I had a distant parent. My dad didn't really love me. I don't know if I can really trust God because my dad didn't ever show up. And we, and we want to blame and we want to blame. And here's the deal. You ready? You're as close to God as you want to be. You're as close to God as you want to be. It's not your parents and you can give all the excuses you want. It started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. You can give all the excuses you want. But here's what I want you to hear. Your relationship with God is not dictated by either your parents, what they did or didn't do to you, or how they took you to church or how they didn't. No more excuses. You want to break the cycle? You want to get beyond your parents' excuses? You are going to have to own it and at this point say, okay, God, it's between me and you and I need you to work and I want you to work in my family because it's no longer, this is not good enough, the status quo and keeping the same thing going. I don't want those sins passed on. And you can go beyond your parents' mistakes. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, that's the first place to start. He welcomes you and he says, come on, I've been waiting for you. Jesus died on the cross to give you salvation. If you know Jesus as your Savior, then you have all the resources to go beyond your parents' mistakes. 